Hey everyone, this is George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. And today I have an interview with one of the great cinematographers of our time, Fadon Papamichael. Fadon recently lensed Trial of the Chicago 7, which is available now on Netflix, but he has shot a bunch of movies that come in every shape and size and it's amazing to hear him talk about them. But I'd like to remind everyone to please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. We have a lot of other cool interviews with cinematographers, editors, filmmakers of all kinds. We also have our weekly podcast where we cover everything in the news that's happening in the world of filmmaking. And uh, email us at ask at no film school. Uh, I'd love to know what you think of our interviews. If you have thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, ideas, all that stuff. I don't want to waste too much more time before we get to fade on. I'll just say that he is such a good storyteller and he's worked with so many of the greats of this time. I mean, uh, such a variety. Nebraska, for example, like at 310 to Yuma, a Western, uh, Sideways, um, just recently uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Um, the, the list of films on his resume is varied and amazing, and he does a great job talking to us about what happens on set and collaborating with so many amazing filmmakers and actors. He's shot everybody. Um, so this should be really fun. Um, and stay tuned for the end. We'll have some other stuff for you. You know, the first thing I usually start with uh, is I like to, f to ask and find out where your sort of interest in becoming a cinematographer or a filmmaker, what were the, the beginning of your career um, from sort of an inspiration standpoint? Well, I mean, I was, um, although my father worked in, in the visual part of filmmaking, he was an art director. Um, in the 60s for, I mean, John Cassavetes, and prior to that, he worked on some Jules Dassin films in in Greece with Melina Mercuri, and he was a painter and an art director, and a, I mean, but that was not really my, my main inspiration to become a cinematographer, but I did start painting fairly early. I wanted to be a fine arts. I mean, I did study fine arts in school and then transitioned to still photography and uh, through still photography I mean it's a long story <laughs> uh, but you know I like it so far <laughs> yeah so I mean I moved when I finished school I moved to New York because my dad was working I mean they had just finished Love Streams John Cassavetes's last film and Liz Gazar was the assistant editor they were cutting in New York and I moved to New York uh, because John Cassavetes had seen some of my stills and said, uh, you know, it captures the spirit of a new generation in a classical form, which I, you know, try to interpret somehow. But he said, why don't you come out and visit? <laughs> um, but that's a good compliment, whatever. Yeah, it is. exactly. I mean, it was definitely, I mean, I can't, you know, deny that. I mean, I probably wouldn't have grabbed one my one suitcase and probably 50 bucks in my pocket and moved to New York as a 21-year-old if I hadn't received that letter. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, once I got there, I mean, they were busy doing that. And then later, John got sick and he didn't do another movie. So it wasn't like I had an in for the family. But, I mean, Liz Gazzari was Ben Gazzari's daughter, was the assistant editor. And and she wanted to do a short film, and she said, you know, you should shoot my short film. And I said, well, I have, I've never shot anything before. She goes, well, you know, I mean, you're a photographer. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's like <laughs> setting the, you know, exposure and com composition. And I'm like, okay, sure. Um, so uh, I ended up never going to film school, but, but starting um, to uh, just shoot you know, from one but one short film led to another, and and then I actually, uh, you know, never really stopped and looked back. And what was supposed to be like checking out the U.S. and 
moving to America with became, you know, which was going to be maybe for a year, became 35 years and 50 movies later, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm still <laughs> working in Hollywood. Um, but, you know, my, my inspiration came earlier before I left for America. Uh, I had, uh, you know, always loved movies and watched, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, got to stay up Saturday night and I, I was living in Germany and then on Saturdays they showed like John Ford Westerns and I was allowed to stay up and watch, you know, and then, uh, you know, the French new wave, of course, I mean, we're talking, you know, seventies, yeah. uh, you know, German, uh, you know, Fassbinder, Herzog, Wenders, uh, but also Godard and the one film in particular, uh, Contempt, uh, Le Mépris, which was shot. Oh yeah, beautiful. Which it's was beautiful shot in, 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 you know, Cinemascope uh, by Raoul Coutard, great master, and it kind of reflected a little bit what I was doing with still photography. It had, you know, very uh, expressionistic use of colors and symbolisms, and it was graphic, and it had these very slow, long tracking moves. <clears throat> which I thought, wow, that's great. Like, that's kind of like my still photography, but I can all move the camera and I can also tell a story that doesn't just emerge from one image. And I can, you know, the other thing is I'm being given a story, so I'm not constantly, like, torturing myself, like, okay, you know, what is the next... You know, as a still photographer or a painter, you're always alone and you're, you live in your head a lot like a writer, uh as you probably know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a very, in a way it can be very lonely and um, isolated, but, you know, as a cinematographer, right. you're working with a group, you're being given a story. So then when you're working on a movie, you're applying your visual storytelling sense to that. And then when the movie wraps, then you can go on vacation and you don't really have to carry like a whole camera package and, different everywhere things. you go you looking know, for inspiration I mean, like right, right now I, I literally I, I i i take photos only with my iphone and i i don't feel like i constantly have to create uh you know masterpieces <laughs> with every snapshot yeah. I, I can just photograph my friends or my kids and you know so but so but then so then i wrote this guy's name down i mean before i even realized who godar was i wrote down raul kutar and I go, I want to do what that guy does. And hmm. of course, you know, having some connections to America, I mean, and encouraged me to go, but I, I really didn't know how to go about it. And of course, John and my dad, I mean, they're, you know, hardly very technical or established in, you know, in the film industry. So, you know, but, but you know, eventually moved to LA and then, you know, met a lot of friends, my, my generation, uh, folks that were going to film school and to AFI and, and, and through one of them who got a second unit job, a uh, directing job at Roger Corman, she asked me to shoot that. And that was my in to the early Roger Corman um, days. Around what, what, what year was that? The Roger, your first 80, Roger Corman 87, 88. And then, uh, I mean, I was 20, I was young because I hadn't gone to film school and, Actually, my crew were, were all in film school. So, uh, you know, three of them are Academy Award winning cinematographers at this point. Um, wow. It seems like a lot of, uh, it seems like Roger Corman was a kind of film school. It was a lot of great film. It was the best film school I could, I mean, dreamed up. First of all, you got paid. I mean, not much, but I was. Yeah, I, better, which means you don't have to pay for it, right? Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, we had 35 millimeter camera, Airy BL2. We got this Fuji film stock from the gray market in Hong Kong. We had a nice set of lenses. Uh, you know, there was a studio in a way. I mean, there was that lumber yard on Main Street in Venice, which had, yeah. uh, during my time had a strip set. So sometimes it had a spaceship set or it had a castle set. Uh, the year <laughs> I was there, I uh, had a strip club, so I did, you know, Strip to Kill 2, Dance of a Dan, which was a love story between a vampire and a stripper, and, you know, so, but it, it allowed me <laughs> to, um, you know, very, very, um, it allowed me to play with colors and lights, because Roger didn't really care, I mean, it was like television, for example, like, if I would have come through 
TV, I mean, it was quite boring and conservative and not very uh, risk-taking at, at that time. I mean, now it's really evolved and, you know, there's some amazing right, things uh, right. on, on television. But uh, but you could do that, what you were talking about. You could be expressionistic. With, 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 with Roger, you know, as long as strippers were getting killed and we had some nudity, <laughs> uh, I mean, he really didn't care what we do artistically. Uh, I mean, the only thing he cared about is, like, don't use a dolly because he thought it takes too much time to uh, lay dolly track. But so we would do it secretly, yeah. and we had a PA in the parking lot on on watch. So when his Mercedes would pull down Main Street, we'd, we'd, he'd run in and say, Roger's coming. We'd pull the camera off a dolly, hide the track. Um <laughs> you know, we had 15 days, so I, I, I learned several things. I learned how to light with uh, minimal equipment. Uh, I learned how to be fast because we had all these features. I mean, I did seven features over two years. Uh, were 15-day shoots, three five-day weeks. Uh, Amazing. I mean, they were wow. in our days. We were young. I mean, I was exhausted, I remember. But, uh, but yeah. that was definitely my film school. And then, you know, I had very interesting... Filmmakers around me who were my crew, I mean, Janusz Kaminski, who shot Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, I mean, was my gaffer, Mara Fiore, who shot, what is it called, James Cameron, uh, the big one, uh, the Avatar, sorry. Oh, Avatar. Avatar, and then Wally Pfister was my camera operator, shot second unit for me also, uh, you know, he won for Inception, so, you know, it was all, we were all, we were all the same generation, and we all remained friends. Wow. Um you're not kidding. That is, you guys were like the the dream team of the dream camera crew. Yeah, uh, it was great. Though, because, <laughs> did you all develop? Yeah, everybody. I had was, no idea. Yeah, I mean, and you know, and then we would we would go like watch the Last Emperor, and then Vittorio Serrar would come to AFI and talk about colors, and then we would go back and apply all that like to our stripper stripper movie and. <laughs> well, now I got to go watch the stripper movie now to know that like five of the greatest cinematographers were in yeah, the camera. Yeah, I mean, some of them are like remastered and uh, become like uh, Katia Rubin was a director I worked with a lot. And she even had like, a, I mean, probably not Criterion Collection, but I know it was like, you know, they became cult movies, some of them. And um, sure. And uh you know, then from there, I transitioned to, I did Wild Palms, which I just saw got re-released and remastered on Blu-ray that Oliver Stone produced Bruce Wagner miniseries, which was also kind of out there and crazy and and interesting directors, Catherine Bigelow and um, yeah. Keith Gordon and uh, Phil Juanu. And, uh, you know, so it was, I mean, it was all, that's all part of my film school. Yeah, and, and then you, it took a, you know. a, a, a kind of a crazy turn because my first studio movie was directed by John Turtletop and happened to be Cool Running. So suddenly, you know, that became very unexpectedly a very a, like a surprise hit. And then, you know, his next movie was While You Were Sleeping and then Phenomenon. So then I did a series of John Turtletop movies, which, you know, were, were kind of mainstream Hollywood, but that was, you know, also interesting i mean suddenly we're working with sandra bullock and john travolta and you know much more conservative and mainstream visually um did you find you had to restrain some of your instincts or no, were you I comfortable mean, I, I mean i mean and i always consider myself you know i can i should be able to apply what i do to the different genres and i i still look for you know i'm i, I always still pride myself that you can't really necessarily see a movie and go, oh, you know, fade and shot that. I mean, Chicago 7 looks very different than Ford vs. Ferrari, than Nebraska, than, sure. than yeah. a million dollar hotel. I mean, then, I mean, and you, yeah. you do that. You, you don't want to be people to recognize you. No, but I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to serve the, 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 not just the director, but the genre that like, I mean, what the studio actually wants. I mean, if, yeah, it's it's pointless to, you know, uh, try and enforce something. I mean, look, like Vittorio Sorar and Bertolucci did amazing things together. Sometimes, you know, and Vittorio is a very expressive, very strong, has very, his very strong handwriting. Um, 
you know, and sometimes it works amazingly. The combination of the story and his style of cinematography is super effective. Uh, and he's certainly influenced all of us. And, um, but, you know, on other projects, it's, he overpowers it or um, it just seems, you know, I don't want people to come and say, oh, you know, the cinematography was amazing in that. I want them to go. That was a great movie. So when I work on Sideways, I'm not going to, you know, try and make it something that it's not. I really don't want people to. It just shouldn't get in the way. And, and you know, Nebraska has to be a certain way. And I mean, so the, the mood, the performances, the director, they all indicate and, you know, instinctively you have to, as a cinematographer, you know, dial in the tone and, and, and to take a few examples, you know, from before we talk about trial of Chicago seven uh, being the recent one, but for your resume, it includes things like Nebraska, which is gorgeous black and white photography. Um, and then something like, uh, I mean, another favorite of mine is like 310 to Yuma. Cause you mentioned John Ford and right. it's a completely different kind of, of visual world. Of you would course. never necessarily associate, the skill set, you know, that it's like, this yeah. is a big Western. And, and then that, this is like a quiet, you know, black and white of kind course. of character study. And, and they both work. The job, that's what makes being a cinematographer so great. And also the fact, I mean, which leads a bit to Traveler Chicago 7, that we get to work with very, very different kind of directors. You know, some of it that are right. usually very hands-on, like Gore Vabinsky, who I did Mouse Hunt and Weatherman with, I mean, who comes from commercials and mouse and was his first movie but just incredibly knowledgeable technically uh, draws all his own storyboards super controlling uh you know kind of like fincher or chris nolan and just a real craftsman uh understanding you know the lenses the uh everything the the, the color correction and you know mangled is also um very hands-on visually, but, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, also very involved in writing and, 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 and directing the actors. And then Alexander is very precise with the writing and, you know, has his own uh, visual sense, which is not as flashy and, and, you know, just, uh, you just don't want to get in the way of that. Uh, uh, with Aaron, is it fun? With Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, no, go ahead. I want to hear about Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. So with Aaron, I mean, you know, we met very briefly, uh, actually through the producer 310 to Yuma that I worked with, uh, Stuart Besser. He had done Molly's Game and he thought I would be a good match with Aaron. And, uh, you know, it was a very brief interview. Um, and he said, you know, basically, first thing he said is like, look, I'm going to rely very heavily on the cinematography to help me on this. Um, and uh, Stuart told him I'm probably a guy that because I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not enforcing like my will, but I try to find what's in the director's head. I mean, that I would probably be a good match for him. And, and, you know, he's, uh, you know, it's turned out, you know, he relies very heavily on, on the editor, on the cinematographer. I mean, he's, it's all about the rhythm of the word uh, I mean, he has some key images in his head that are important in terms of moving the narrative or triggering key moments in the screenplay. Uh, but other than that, in terms of, you know, exactly what coverage and what shots and the blocking and, and I mean, lighting for sure, uh, you know, he's not involved, although he does recognize and understand when he sees something that he likes. So it's, it's my job to, again, you know, not, not create... Uh, complete something that's you know that he's struggling with although he doesn't really understand why uh you know it's it's understanding what is what is his what are his sensibilities what's important to him and and then you know try and find that for him is your match with him partly because he was probably like you know i've directed one other feature and i'm looking for a cinematographer who i can lean on to kind of run the show in that sense but i can trust where you yeah know, he's probably more associated with and the I, know, I know i know sounds like that was the case yeah, yeah i mean i know his cinematographer in the first one also uh, you know he relied very heavily on i mean i think you know look the first one is always a bit as a writer i mean uh it, it was probably more difficult for him to sort of 
understand all the work uh, that is necessary to shoot a movie. Um, so I definitely had an advantage. But again, you know, I mean, I realized, like, yes. I would suggest shots to him and he go, do we need that? I really don't need to see those people. I'm like, it's important we have these options. It's important we have some cutaways. I mean, especially in a courtroom drama, you know, it's not just a person that's talking. I mean, everyone's reacting. You got the jury. You want need to see their reaction. You need to have the judge. You need to have the prosecutor. You need to have the audience. Uh, but, you know, when he envisions it in his head, because it's about the rhythm of the person who's talking, well, basically he says, you know, I kind of need to have him on camera and there's really no room for, I mean, there's certainly no room, like same in the riots. I mean, you know, we cut out to the riots and these flashbacks or flash forwards or, um, you know, often for like three right. seconds, five seconds. So when, you know, when we're designing and lighting the crossing the bridges, when they try to cross, you know, towards Michigan Avenue and get to the convention center, I mean, it's not like a regular movie where, you know, you would design a crane shot and show the scope and the crowd. And it's hmm. like, I'm just watching yeah. to it. And he goes, I need the, I need the insert of a bottle hitting the pavement in front of the uh, National Guard. And, you know, that's what triggers the crowd, you know, who started the riots. And, you know, it's just like flash in, in his mind and in his writing, the flash images. So, you know, when you design the shots and, you have to be aware how how he's going to use it. I mean, it's it's like the little, you know, triggers, visual triggers. So it's pointless to design some grandiose, steady crowd. <laughs> I mean, you got to, you know, so I would just emerge my, my operators handheld in the crowd and go, you know, just kind of make a documentary about this, cap capture the key moment and, you know, capture things along the way. But, like, it's, it's going to only play for three seconds, five seconds, two second shots. So... Which was also. I mean, helpful. I can only imagine how how different that is from shooting something like, uh, well, Verbinski, because I imagine those shoots well, yeah. are so well coordinated and calculated. Or even because uh, you know, I remember seeing um, you know Ford versus Ford v Ferrari last year, which is just some of the best choreographed, careful. I imagine car sequences. Yeah, I so, mean it's how, pre it's prevised and I mean designed. I mean you can't really design racing sequences like that without knowing the set i mean you can't budget them you can't know how many what kind of cars you need where and i mean that's a totally different kind of filmmaking um, how did you become a such a chameleon you're, you're you're sort of like the cinematographer equivalent of an actor who who disappears into the role how yeah, did you i'm like uh, how have you cultivated <laughs> you like Zelig? That's a great. Take me yeah. romantic How did you? For people who haven't seen Zelig, you got to go see it. <laughs> um, Zelig is such a great movie. Gordon Willis, like, talk about great. I know, and I always but... describe my my friend as Zelig, uh, who had just he just wrote a a, a movie I directed, and uh, he's the guy you put him with some British people, and he he'll start talking. <laughs> I go, why do you why do you suddenly have this British accent? I mean, like, why can you speak like he speaks five languages fluently, like you put him with French people, he turns into a French person. <laughs> so I mean I, I yeah, I mean I kind of I always wonder if it's funny because like I've directed some movies and then when I when I really get to actually choose the visual style, I mean often it's it's much less visual than the movies I do for other people. You know, it's it's almost like really that's interesting. Why do you so, think that is? I mean, your your well, inspiration, my interest, my inspiration, and you know the filmmakers I love. I mean, it's like dark comedies. It's like it's about characters. It's about humor. I mean, that's why I love working with Alexander. And you know, ultimately, my inspiration comes from the performance, and it's not always something that requires a. a you know, dominating visual. I mean, um, I mean, sure. Do I like Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, and it's a great performance, and it's also yeah. like in the desert and like in the most epic thing. Or, but uh, you know, what what I really, I mean, remember from movies that influence me that I love are you know just great characters and great performance. I'll never, I mean, rarely go. Oh man, remember that shot and. You know, in in Apocalypse Now, I mean, there are you know some amazing things, but I'll go. Oh, you know, 
remember they go never get off the boat you know we're gonna need a bigger boat like oh you know you just remember uh you know <laughs> yes, i mean right, right. looks amazing but i mean uh, you know but i i remember the near in certain moments and uh his face and uh his defeat and or his triumph or i mean this so it's always character based i mean the nebraska i mean sure it's got very graphic minimalistic compositions that reflect the loneliness of a character or the isolation or the miscommunication uh but you know the beauty of those is like bruce dern when we occasionally or when we selectively do choose to do a close-up and you know he's talking to his son you know i just wanted to leave something for you boys and he's basically sitting against some pavement on a sidewalk uh but that was such yeah. a beautiful movie and that yeah. and that and the visuals really do match yeah exactly that character that's, that's what they really they, embody that's what we have yeah. to do is just find the right visuals for it and then you know they often present themselves and you can't I mean, sure, you can plan and you can preconceive and you can design a palette and you can shot list and you can storyboard. But I mean, I think great filmmaking is when something great unfolds in front of you, a great performance, like on Walk the Line. I mean, I mean, you can't shot list what Joaquin Phoenix is going to do on stage or Joker was similar. I mean, I was talking to Larry Sher and I mean, you know, it's like Joaquin, it's going to give you shit and you got to you got to be there and you got to f- be at the right place at the right time and catch it. Yes. When I spoke to Larry, I had Larry on the podcast and I remember something I'll always remember that he said that was great was he said, we knew that our special effect was Joaquin. Yeah. So everything we did was like, that was our special effect and you can really feel it, you know? It's, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, it was funny because we did, um, I don't know, we, well, we were both nominated for AC. So we ended up doing a, like a, a panel or a presentation together and instead of talking about our movies we just uh, exchanged working stories and uh you know it's, <laughs> it's just it's so inspiring when you have a performer do something and then you know you gotta just be reactive and get it so i mean and then ultimately to me that's that's what good photography is you know? did um did i i wanted to ask you know because Sasha Baron Cohen, I imagine, is as a little bit of that. Was sure. it, you know, you're working with this, he's kind of like this giant in the sense of his own creative force, along with Aaron Sorkin, who's a giant, and they both have such distinct styles and identities. Of course. Not not always not always matching. I mean, not always matching. right. I was getting yeah. <laughs> that's what I was trying to find the way to say that. Well, but yes, you know, that's look, what I, I mean, mean, you know, I mean, I mean they're both I mean Sasha is a writer, director, producer, actor. Uh, yes. But of course, you know, very respectful of the material and all that. But, you know, that doesn't prevent him from, you know, offering things up. And and then Aaron, you know, like Alexander Payne, I mean, when you were that kind of writer, I mean, when you watch Sideways, you think Paul Giamatti and, and Thomas Hayden Church at the time, you know, got some liberty in playing with the dialogue it just seems so natural and so unwritten and um it's not the case though because i recall distinctly one moment when thomas hayden church asked alexander if he could change this one word from this to that and alexander considered it for a long time and he goes let's stick with the screenplay it's because he's given it a lot of thought and that word is there for a reason and he's certainly considered the alternative and you know, Aaron is like that. It's like you know the humor that's in in Trial of Chicago Seven um, uh, or the drama. I mean, it's it's just dialed in the, to the degree that he wants it. And then so um, you know, offerings or maybe to make it more comedic. And you know, it's all in goodwill that Sasha, of course, and and you know, others. I mean, we have Jerry Rubin, Jeremy Strong, who's you know also a bit method, but also coming from a world where, you know, you probably can throw things out and try things, you know, but, and I, I don't really want to say, you know, made Aaron uncomfortable, but he certainly, you know, didn't feel like it needed any enhancement. Yeah. I would be, I, it's, it's funny to think of saying to someone like Aaron Sorkin or 
Alexander no. Payne, like, hey, can we change this word? Yeah, yeah. These, that's these guys are at the top of their game. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 mean, I it's Pasha, interesting to know, know Alexander. I mean, Pasha is probably one of the funniest people in the world. You know, so I mean, yes. <laughs> like, well, I mean, certainly you want to hear what he has to offer, but you know, and, and it wasn't like it was dismissed or anything. But, but I mean, Aaron, like, yeah. He, it's it's just very like the same thing that applies to me and applying visuals or offering shots to him that he doesn't feel like he needs applies to the performances. So, you know, and then you had Mark Rylance, who's I mean, we had a very diverse group of performers. I mean, you have Mark Rylance who's a theater trained and theater director, British, uh, Eddie Redmayne, of course, also very, you know, s- structured, professional Frank Langella, Michael Keaton. This cast was massive. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, uh, you know, everybody. I mean, having such a diverse ensemble cast, you know, is is a challenge to you know have them all in one room and you know uh, in a scene where they're all present, but really only two people are interacting, you know, intensely. For example, like the scene where there's the mock interrogation between Kunstler and and Tom Hayden and. And Aaron said, I mean, I remember very well, uh, I really only need to see those two. I'm like, well, there are like 10 other people standing in the room. <laughs> you know, well, I don't really care about them. I'm, I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> they do. And not just because of that, but, uh, you know, Sasha at some point steps forward and says, well, he always does that. He never uses possessive pronouns. I mean, you know, it's, that's why he said, Blood shall flow all over the city, but not. He didn't say our blood. He didn't mean the cops' blood. Yeah. He meant our our blood. So you know, so you got to keep every characters involved, but you also don't want to create a bunch of shots that needs it. So you know, I would always try to establish a shot that focuses in on what the essence or what you know the main protagonists are in that particular scene. And but then since a ensemble cast, I mean, you know, maintain some kind of presence of the other people although often you know they didn't have a line but you know it's it's a group that's doing something together so it was finding shots that did that without having to be very cutty and cut to a bunch of close-ups so you know i suggested going with wider lenses and closer but you know not isolating them with long lenses and and feeling even though i'm in a close-up you know feeling in the background of the characters and same in the courtroom i mean you know, I had to cover a lot of characters and, and trying to yeah always keep them connected uh, visually and have shots where, you know, I sure I'm on a profile close-up, but I'm also f- raking down the bench of defendants and, you know, I can feel, uh, you know, that they're not like sitting alone, but, you know, it's, 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 it's. Uh... I want to ask you because, you know, one thing that you have unique to your career, and we've talked a lot about capturing performances I think you've probably shot a greater collection of like intensely method style actors, certainly than anyone we've interviewed. But I mean, you got it's got to be up there because you shot Dustin Hoffman, Nicolas Cage, Russell Crowe, Christian Bale a few times, right? Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> um, yeah, Matt Damon, uh, and, and uh, Matt Damon, Matt Damon a time. few times, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix a few times. You've direct, you've shot a few movies that George Clooney directed but was also in, but like you, you, you may be uh, an actor's cinematographer. Is that such a thing? I mean, that's a, I mean, it, I, I like to, I would, that's a compliment. I mean, I, I, I truly, like I said before, I mean, my inspiration comes on the day when we're in the actual space and the actors are doing their first rehearsal. That's when I get my most ideas. Hmm. Not sitting at so home like, and not on the tech scout. And, you know, because I just don't know what they're going to do. Like, is Sasha going to go to the window? Is Wari King going to start kicking out the little lamps on the stage? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you've had, me. yeah. You, have you learned that because you've directed or you've directed, been director of photography for so many of these guys who just do strange things that you well, can't yeah, I mean, You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I mean, I just did a movie with some were amateurs, some were kind of uh, just came out of drama school. I mean, you know, you got often, you know, the, uh, many levels of, uh, you know, just like Polanski, Knife on the Water, his first movie. I mean, his older character yeah. was, uh, you know, very 
a trained theater actor. The young guy was like the James Dean of Poland, uh, sort of, I'm sure, you know, rebellious and methody. And then the the, the, the lady in it was uh, amateur that they picked up at a public pool. I had no idea. That's a great Yeah, there's on, on the Criterion Collection, I think there's a little making of. And he only did that movie because his bigger movie, he lost the Polish film funding for it. And uh, so he said, how can I make a, I don't want to do no movie now. I want to do something super simple. So he said, I'll write something that takes place on a boat with three characters. And I did a movie very similar just now this summer in Greece during Corona. I had the opportunity to put this movie together. And and, and it was, again, like in one location. But, uh, I mean, my cast ranges from, you know, the, the greatest actor in Greece, like the Jack Nicholson of Greece, to uh, Albanian uh film graduate, drama graduates, like five years of acting school to uh, from Republic of Georgia, amateur actors who've never been on a film set. And, 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 and it's interesting, you know. Does it create, uh, you do that on purpose because you feel like it creates some kind of synergy? No, I didn't do it on purpose. I mean, that's what I oh, have. Okay. But, uh, but it's, it's still interesting, I think, when, you know, I mean, Cassavetes did it all the time. I mean, they would they would write and construct these screenplays like husbands where Ben and Peter fought yeah. and, and him like knew exactly what's going on. They w- would rehearse and, and construct the screenplay for months. And then, then they would go out and throw in a bunch of amateurs that had no idea what the scene is about, which direction is going. And of course, them being who they were, they could control a little bit, but they would, you know, so, I mean, it, it creates these really, amazing dynamics that are hard to construct and write and 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 i'm not you know look when you have matt damon and christian bale <laughs> right it's, it's even better you know it's like they can do whatever you want and really well um and they do it so differently though right because that's so the other thing but i mean you know i mean they have I mean, Ford vs. Ferrari, the, that dynamic, or Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hay, I mean, that, that's, you know, also genuine. Like, I fucking love the other guy. It's 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 just great chemistry. Um, you know, Mangold and I were like brothers. We pick her on the set. They go, actually, I read some interview where Christian Bale and Matt said, we, we drew our inspiration from Faden and Jim fighting, like, on the set. Like, <laughs> we're not Wait, fighting, which one? You know? I mean, I'll tell Which one is which? <laughs> tell them you're... You're stupid for doing this, and uh, but you know it's creative. Uh, we're not. We never. I'm not. It's not. It's it's different. You know, like we have a common goal, and we respect each other, and we we're trying to you know make the best movie we can at the moment. Did I feel like you guys have something you're doing from movie to movie? You and and James Mangold because Three Ten to Yuma also Christian Bale, but it was also sort of about these two men, right? In the same way that um, Ford v. Ferrari was. Is there something there no, or is that there's just... a particular theme about that um, because, look, we also did Identity and Night and Day. Walk and, the line. You know, yeah. um, but uh, we do, I do feel like we have similar tastes. I mean, we're kind of traditional classic filmmakers. We do like... First of all, we're the same generation. Mangold's dad was a painter, so was mine. I mean, he's a Cal arts guy. He's grew up in New York. Um, You know, we're the same age. We like the same movies. He likes Ozu, Kurosawa, Vendors. I mean, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of um, built-in common language and history. And, um, I mean, it's actually funny because I find myself, I mean, when I started my career, I used to work with, a lot of women directors, I mean, way before, I mean, there were really not a lot of women directors, but with Katja yeah. Rubin, Christine Peterson, Catherine Bigelow. And, and, uh, and then now I find myself, and it's certainly not by design. I mean, I'm working with, you know, white males my age. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that this means. how it goes. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's all us uh, guys are kind of, on their way out but uh you know but no it's just like you know we we have a life i mean like i i shot something that shia labeouf directed and and i was 50 he was 25 so that i go oh 
fuck, that's the first time I'm working with a director who's half my age. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it. I mean, and and I love the energy. But that chameleon quality. Yeah, that that's that chameleon good. quality. You have. <laughs> I could go to the bar with Chaya and you know uh, put back a bunch of whiskeys and get in a fight. It was no problem. <laughs> what was it? What's it like uh, shooting for George Clooney? Were you his first DP or no? Maybe not. Right? No, no, no. I mean, he had um, he had Tom Siegel and uh, Bob Ellsworth. You know, great, great cinematographers. Um, I mean, Clooney, it came about again. I mean. Actually, another guy was my age, um, but uh, he came, you know, we had done Descendants. Right. Um, and I think, you know, he's very respectful. I mean, he loves some directors like Soderbergh, and he really loves Alexander. And um, he, um, I think he liked our relationship, like Alexander and mine, because it's not never really very stressful shoot. We do... I mean, it's it's fun to work on an Alexander Payne movie, um, and I think he likes that. I mean, I think primarily he likes having fun. <laughs> yeah, as opposed uh, to a more high stress shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying yeah, George. I mean, yes. Alexander also, yes. but but Clooney also, and then so he just asked me like, "Hey, do you want to shoot my next movie?" I mean, it was again very informal. I mean, we were on the dance floor at the halfway party, and he kind of dances up to me and goes, hey, do you want to shoot my next one? I'm like, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> and, um, so, and, and and it was a great shooting with George. And, you know, I mean, he's the most, I mean, him and Matt and Christian, I mean, those are like real movie actors. I mean, they just understand the shot. They understand how to be helpful. They, I mean, sometimes I'll just be looking at something. They go, oh, am I too tall? Like, do you want me? I mean, I can spread my legs here and be, you know, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I mean, uh, I mean, they just really understand filmmaking. And uh, and and that's just great. I, I mean, working with, it's like, you know, it's like being in Major League Baseball and you just have like, it's just, I mean, it's just the greatest all-stars. Yeah. They're the peak of mm-hmm. their craft, and they've yeah. done the top movies. And they but also out. they're passionate filmmakers. I mean, Matt, Matt's like looking to direct. I'm sure he could if he took the time. But I mean, he's, he's just you know he's worked with these guys. Have worked with all the greats of uh, you know contemporary greats of directing, and of course have I mean Ridley Scott and Steven yeah. Spielberg. Cohen brothers and Martin Scorsese uh, Scorsese and you know so I mean they're all passionate filmmakers and and in general like uh, you know people go well what do you prefer directing or shooting I go I don't I'm not a frustrated DP I love shooting yeah I love shooting for great directors and but I I don't even think of myself in that box like I'm like we're storytellers we're filmmakers and those actors feel the same way yeah I mean, they're not frustrated actors who want to direct. I mean, you know, if they want to direct, it's just because they love it and they would like to have fun doing it. And, and um, I mean, that's why Clooney directs and that's why Matt, I'm sure, is going to direct. And, um, you know, or some don't want to. But, I mean, we're filmmakers and we like telling stories and we're like, that's what we are. I mean, we're like circus folks. You know, we yeah. travel, we <laughs> sacrifice families, we're in countries all over the world for months at a time, living in hotels with bad room service. You know, it's just... <laughs> As you are now, I assume, right? What's well, your... I, if there's something left you really want to do kind of thing that you're that's on your list of like, you've shot so many different kinds of movies for different kinds of filmmakers with, you know, different focuses and different types of stars. Like, you really run a gamut, which... I think is is pretty rare, honestly, because people get kind of pigeonholed. But are there things that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Yeah, I mean, there's always um, uh, something. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm. Oh, I gotta do like a medieval. You know, I've never done like <laughs> a costume. I mean, look, like I I love the favorite, for example. I mean, that would have been great. I mean, I love certain directors yeah. that I haven't worked with. I haven't worked with all directors out there. And obviously won't, um, but you know, 
like if Sofia Coppola asked me to do something or Jim Jarmusch or Ridley Scott, I mean, completely different kind of films. I mean, as always the challenge of, um, you know, I wish I could have worked with Kubrick or Godard or Truffaut or Kurosawa or, you know, so it's, it's about uh, the filmmakers and then, in terms of genre, I, I don't really care. I mean, I, I always say I'm not like a big horror movie fan, but I mean, obviously there's some great ones. I mean, I would have been uh, more than... And you kind of you kind of started off there with vampires, and right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just want to do good movies. I want to do movies. I mean, you know, my at some point my criterion was I want to do movies that I would actually go see and buy a ticket for. Um, now I want to do movies that, like, my wife won't say why the <laughs> why the hell did you spend like three months in Thailand doing this thing? It's like a waste of your time. I mean, uh, and I I want to do movies where, you know, eventually when I'm dead or when I'm older, <laughs> my kids go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, you did yeah. that. You worked. Oh, I'm that. sure. I, I think mean, you've already done a bunch of those, but yeah, I've done a bunch of those. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I just want to look, I mean, how many movies are we going to do, right? I mean, like, I mean, how many movies can we do, period? So, yeah. and how many movies am I going to work on? So it's not just about, you know, money or it's like, it's, it's time, you know, movie eats up a year of your life, you know, yeah. at least half a year of your life. And it's, it's a valuable asset and you just don't want to waste it. Yeah. And, uh, so I, 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 I mean, you know, there's that saying, like, like, life's too short to work with that guy. I mean, it's just like, I just don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to, you know, give away any, any minute of my time for something I, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in or I don't think it's worth the effort. And, and yeah. also, like, I, I also just won't do good work. I mean, I won't right. do, I won't do good work if I'm not into it or I don't like the actor or I don't like the director. I just, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give a hundred percent. I never not give a hundred percent because I can't really function that way. Right. And then, so if I give a hundred percent on something that I think it's, I'm, I'm wasting or I'm uh, giving them gifts that are not recognized or appreciated. I mean, I know it sounds a bit, but that's what we do. You know, we yeah, we always give a hundred percent. I mean, I'm talking for you know a lot of cinematographers. Yeah, that I respect. What uh, um, what's your feeling on the changing in medium? I mean, obviously, when you started, it was all film. Now it's become predominantly a digital medium. Yeah, I don't really care about that because I feel it doesn't really matter. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I feel like David Lean would have shot film now, and then Cassavetes would have shot things on an iPhone, and it wouldn't have made Women Under the Influence any worse of a movie. Um, yeah. So it depends on, on your story. And I mean, they're just tools, but I do think, I mean, me personally, I feel like partially because, you know, lab support and practicality, but I also do think like the sensors and the lenses that I use, the combination with my colorist and achieving a film look, which I do like and adding some texture and post and then my post tools and the DI. And I feel like, and anyway, it's a DCP. I mean, movies go out on the digital cinema package. It's like a, and compressed yeah. file gets sent. So no matter what, if you shoot on film or not, I mean, you're... You're finishing I mean, digital. 90, 98% of the viewings are going to be on the digital projector or more likely streaming at home. Uh, let's just face yeah. it, that's the reality. And this, this crisis, the corona crisis, certainly hasn't helped the cause. I mean... I know people upgraded during the lockdown. Yeah. Everyone spent some money that they had to buy a bigger, better OLED or uh, a better sound system. And, and it's going to be hard to get people back in the theaters. I mean, there'll be some event movies that people will, you know, go to the theater, but, I mean, uh, Trial of Chicago 7, I mean, of course, it was shot from the big screen. I, I, I mean, I consider my, I'm not, I mean, I haven't done TV work in two decades. Um, you know, it was shot for the theater. I only shoot for, for yeah. the big screen. But, but ultimately, and all things considered, and right now Netflix uh, having taken this film and, and, 
and bringing it to a public, probably in a way that is much more reaching many, many more people than it would have if Paramount yeah. would have released it theatrically. And I mean, who would go and see this movie necessarily on a, in the theater, you know? But whereas at Netflix, I mean, all my friends already called me. They've already all, all seen it. They would have never right. all seen it. <laughs> right. That's and where it's They would going. have never gone, rushed out to the theater right now to see this movie. You know, I, so, it's funny you say I, I shoot for the theater. I hope you always, like me personally as a fan, I hope you always do, even if you're shooting, even if the platform ends up streaming, because I, I think there's a difference in shooting with that consideration. You know what I mean? Like that's Yeah, I mean, we joke on the set, like sometimes when something didn't work out, we go, oh, well, nobody's going to see it on an iPhone, you know, but <laughs> that's, and that's not how we shoot, you know, but I mean, right. look, my kids, I mean, my kids, my kids are 12. The twins. I mean, they watch things. Um, I mean, look, it's just the way things are going. Um, yeah, no, you know, they, they, they have no concept. They've never, they've never seen a film projection. You know, they've never seen. I mean, I made him watch Paper Moon. You know, um, whatever. I think on <laughs> our, 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 you know, blue uh, Blu-ray, but. Uh, you know, they, if they see grain and they see a film projection, they probably think something's wrong with it. So, <laughs> Have you tried black and white yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, wait, Paper I mean, Moon they, is. They, yeah. they, they don't want to watch. Like I said, we got to watch, uh, you know, I don't know what I told them the other day. Heidi in black and white. I mean, uh, they go, oh, really? Like, do we have to watch this black and white film again? You know, um, so, but, but then when they do, and then those classics and the movies that work, I mean, they're still effective. It's just a different, imp I mean, it's just a different pacing, you know, like, I mean, I, I showed him yeah. the man who would be king, which is a great, like, I go, like, I'm going to show you the greatest adventure movie ever. But, you know, it takes yeah. a while. It builds slowly, like the character yeah. development. It takes, it takes, it takes, you know, 20, 30 minutes. It's not like it doesn't start with an action sequence. It's like a Kipling story. So, you know, it's like introducing, you know, Michael Caine, Sean Connery. What's their problem? Why are they going up to these mountains? But then, of course, you know, if I make him sit through it, they, they like it. I mean, it's yes. just, you know, their, their, their mind is not such in or the Godfather. I mean, I, I just watched the Godfather with him. You get an introduction to every single character, yeah. and it takes forever. But no studio would let you edit a movie like this. And I mean, even back then, he was having a hard time getting this through. And 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 and. But you know, once once it takes off, I mean, you are familiar and you recognize every character in it. And then you can you know, then you can start moving it. Uh, but anyway, so that, but that's a much bigger subject. We don't have the time. And <laughs> Well, I would, I would love to talk about it more. Yeah, I just hope that people, uh, you know, will not forget uh, and and lose the, the the desire and the passion to return to theaters. You know, when this thing is over or stabilizes or whatever will happen with it. Yes, I agree. I think that there's such a strong desire. I think when there's an opportunity for people to do it, they will rush to do it because they miss it. That's my prediction. I think the model will change a little bit, but but who knows? You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I guess as we wrap up, the the last thing I just want to ask quickly is if if you were advising somebody, these are strange times, obviously right now. But if you were advising somebody on on ways to get started, if they wanted to begin a career or become a cinematographer uh, or filmmaker in general, what what are the things you would advise them to do? Uh, well, your show is called No Film School, right? <laughs> yes, 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 it is. But that doesn't mean we say. No, I speak often in film school, and I, I mean, I didn't go. So, I mean, my philosophy is usually go shoot stuff, find. I mean, the the reason I think film schools are useful is because you're meeting contemporaries who are yes. pursuing the same thing, and form these groups, find people who want to do the, you know, not everybody, some people want to do horror movies, some people want to do commercials, some people want to do really slow-moving art films. Um, but find the people that, you know, want to do the same kind of movies, whether you're a cinematographer, find the right director who likes the same kind of photographer or likes the same kind of Godard film or the same kind of Kurosawa film. And, and because it's all about taste and you can make, a movie a hundred different ways. So find the people that yeah. 
you connect with, that you have a common language with, that uh, you like the same kind of movies. And, and then, I mean, luckily, in terms of technology, and it's not going to suddenly produce uh, millions of amazing filmmakers, but, I mean, the fact that we had to get a camera, get the short ends, process them, edit them, like, you know, on a flatbed. I mean, I mean, the fact that like with what I have sitting in front of me right now on my desk, I can make a f- feature film that yeah. actually could be released theatrically Yeah, between my, my, my iPhone and my computer right here, my laptop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's an amazing advantage. Um, and, uh, you know, just go out and shoot. I mean, basically, and then, you know, take every job you can and, um, but also pursue directly, like if you want to be a cinematographer, I advise uh, keep shooting. And even if you make less money, I mean, do it while you don't have a big overhead. First of all, don't occur big overhead. I mean, that's yeah. not that's always easier said than done because people get married, have kids, uh, yeah, yeah, lease a car. Um, but I mean, I tried to do all that while my rent was two hundred dollars a month in Echo Park and. Um, yeah, you know, I could afford to wait around and then like shoot things for free. And so you want to like buy your freedom as long as possible so you can pursue. I mean, you don't want to have to work. Right. You don't have to make the financial decision first. You want to yeah. be able to make the career decision. Well, first. Then, you know, or, or, you know, it's okay. Like if you're in the industry, like in your gaffer or camera system, that's fine. But like also keep, like, don't wait too long because, you know, once you start making a lot of money or much more money and then it's tough. It's tough to transition later. It's better to just to pursue directly what your ultimate goal is. Like, if you want to direct, just try and do that. And then yeah. rather than, oh, I'm going to edit, you know, and then suddenly you're editing and then you're a good editor and then people That's want true. you to stay in that editor. Right. Yep. You know, or you're really good focus puller and then nobody wants you to operate because they don't want to lose you as a focus puller. Or you're a really good operator and nobody wants you to do PP because you're a great Steadicam operator. So, I mean, it's... Yeah. I, I just... I mean, I got lucky because I never got the jobs I interviewed for as a camera assistant. But oh. I always got... <laughs> I always got the jobs as a DP. Uh, of course, they didn't pay anything. But in a way, like, I interviewed with Robbie Miller and Barfly and I didn't get it. And if I would have gotten that, I probably would have had a, a career as a camera... A, gone through the camera department like traditionally um but because i didn't get that i got the making of job of barfly and i got to watch robbie miller light and frieder who was is the owner of kinoflow but developed like lighting with the these fluorescent lights and you know shooting size super speeds wide open and and i took all that and applied it to my first roger carmen movie I said to Janusz, like, let's hold these tubes up and let's, like, shoot wide open. And, you know, but so, I mean, anyway. It's, That's it's just, just so cool. Keep, <laughs> just keep doing it and uh, keep shooting. And, uh, like, uh, most importantly, find, um, you know, find other fellow filmmakers. that, But not just anyone. Find people who want to do, like, love the same kind of movies, you know. Yeah. If you like Italian neorealism, like, find, <laughs> find the people that like that and, uh, you know. It's ever changing and never more complicated. And um, yeah, but that's good advice. If they, I mean, if they don't, if they don't make make the kind of movies you like in America or on TV or on Netflix. I mean, I don't know. Move to Africa or India and <laughs> make your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you can't make it happen in the system that exists, then um, I can burn a hair so going to the Amazon and I mean, you know, you yeah. gotta, you gotta take chances. You gotta put everything on the line. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to try this for a while. Yeah. You have to dig in. It's like it. a commitment. You have to be passionate. You have to be able to give your life, uh, to it, uh, just like a professional athlete. And, uh, I mean, any, any, any profession, I mean, yeah. if you're going to be a great architect or a great engineer, a great doctor, I mean, you just have to commit and it's, it's not like, I think that's a good point because a lot of, I think a lot of people think it's like this expensive hobby or it's like a job. It's, it's it's a career. 
Yeah, it's a and career. I know, people, I know people are in in it. It's almost like a hobby to them. I know hobby producers. I know, <laughs> hobby, I know hobby directors, and I really, I tell them I don't play in my playground because, like, to me, I've dedicated my life to this, and uh, I have no time for you people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, as a fan, we're all we're grateful you have dedicated your life to it. You've done some great work, and I'm excited for whatever's next. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, I'll just remind you, please like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, what did you learn today from Fade On? Or who would you like us to interview? You know, what kind of interviews do you think we should be doing more of or less of or anything? Always interested to hear from all of our listeners. You can also be sure to check us out at nofilmschool.com. We have stories every day about the news, about filmmaking in general, educational content, tech content. Uh, Subscribe to our newsletter. Head over to Facebook. Follow our page. Follow us on Twitter. Do all that fun stuff. Just get as much No Film School content as you possibly can. We have a lot of really cool interviews coming up soon. Uh, Chris Menges, one of the great cinematographers, his resume dates way back, and he's been involved in really the formation of, of some cinema style we've become accustomed to. We have a cool one with the Scriptop team. Scriptop is a really cool app for screenwriters and for development people, and you'll want to learn all about it from them. Um, Luke Greenfield, director of Half Brothers, which is out this year, but also uh, he's directed a couple other movies, and he has one of my favorite Hollywood stories I've ever heard. Um, so you got to listen to that one. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Hope to hear from you soon. Mm-hmm.